Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. I'm joined today by Anita Brightly-Hodges, a fantastic role model for women in business and a shining example of compassion through the fundraising efforts that she's made and done over a number of charities over many, many years. Anita runs her own business as a specialist advisor to people that own their own family businesses, businesses that come with challenges, but when they're family run, they also come with their additional pressures. As wonderful as it is to know you set up a business that could be passed down from generation to generation, you also have to overcome the hurdles of working with family, dealing with succession of the business, and of course, family disputes. Anita is the go-to woman to offer strategies to deal with these eventualities. In addition to this, she offers wealth and well-being support to clients that are dealing with life-changing situations in her associate role at Sephora Private. And somehow, in the middle of her incredibly busy and successful business life, she's managed to complete numerous tough treks across the globe to raising hundreds of thousands of pounds for charity. She is a wonderful, wonderful woman, somebody I met not so long ago, but in the short time I've got to know you, Anita, it feels like I've known you for decades. And I say that with great respect. Take it as a compliment. So let's start, if we may, by finding out about the wonderful Anita Brightly Hodges. Well, Sandra, that was so lovely. Thank you. So, it's such a great introduction. So thank you for that. Bless you. Um, so, yes, um, I'm Anita Brightly Hodges. I'm a very ordinary person. So... Um, to all our listeners out there, um, I am I am the founder of Family Business Place. That's the first business that I run. But I think that for those that are listening, uh, I think I might share a point that I'm from I'm half Chinese, and so my mother was Chinese, was a refugee from China to Hong Kong during the Cultural Revolution. Now, why that's important is because most family businesses at their very beginning were immigrants to the UK, and they may have been Chinese or Indian, Polish whatever. Mm. But what really uh, drives them is the fact they needed to survive, put money on the table, uh, food on the table for their families. So I think that's the first thing that um, that I've really learned over the years, that they didn't just sprout out from anywhere. There was a purpose to them. So um, that's really what I want to say about that. And the other is that family business as a business model is the oldest model in the book, in the world, and is also the biggest business model in the world. So if you took, for example, um, let's say, for example, in Spain, so you'll find about 80% of privately owned businesses in Spain are family run. Um, in um, in the UK, the stats have gone up over the last few years from 60% to 85% now being family run. So that's it. I think that says a lot about the world we live in now. And I think it also says, says a lot about the, the job that large corporates have to do to make their staff feel safe. Mm. You know, um, and I guess because I've been raving about this for 10 years, I'm saying to everyone, why don't you start up a business with your sister or your auntie, your uncle? Because trust is there from the very, very beginning. And that is, there are only two words in my book that, um, that make for a, a successful family business. The first is joy, do something you love. And the other is trust. 
And if you've got those two ingredients, you are going to have a very successful family business. But it's easier said than done. It is. Tell us about, because it hasn't always been this way. You haven't always run your business. Let's go back a few years. Obviously, only a few, because what are you, 24, 25, something like that? Mm, Yeah. Once a a salesman, always a salesman. I'll pay you later. Yeah. So going way back when, life started in business, in the business world. Where? How? Yeah. So I, um, I, it's really funny because I wanted to go to art school when I was a kid and my parents got divorced and my mother said, you can't go to art school. You have to get a job. So I got a job as a secretary in a fantastic bank. And after I was working there for a year, I just thought, is this my life? Is this it? So one morning I got on the train from Gillingham to Cannon Street. I got off at Cannon Street and I got back on the train again and I went home and I phoned my art teacher and said, help, how do I get into art school? So cut long story short, um, we did a portfolio, I used to go to night classes and then draw stuffed seagulls and my family, etc. And I managed to get into a fantastic college, um, Canterbury of Art. And then I completed a degree and a postgrad in Cardiff. And I taught for a year, which I loved. But then it was actually while I was teaching that I realised, I, you know, teaching is all about giving. You can't stop giving. And um, and I had an art student in, in the sort of the the potager of the art college that wasn't taken seriously. I, I remember going to paper factories and saying, uh, I'm a teacher in an, art co- in an art college. We haven't got any paper. Can you give me some paper? And my husband, Stephen, I'd say, Steve, can you make me some um, screen, some lino screens? So we did everything ourselves, which is ridiculous, really. But I realised afterwards that I wanted to do something for myself. So um, I managed to get a very good job at in a published company in London. I'd never been to Soho before, so it was quite a sort of a, a thing for me, really. Then I realised, actually, what was all the big deal about walking through Raymond's Review Bar there? And I thought, is that is that Soho then? Anyway, and then I left there and I was invited to work at National Magazines on a magazine called She Magazine. I don't think it's in circulation anymore. And I think I was only there about eight months. And I thought, hmm, I could do this. I could do this. And um, one day I just had a portfolio and a desk in a studio at the top of the body shop at Carnaby Street. And I just, you know, took my portfolio, had a phone and said, can I come and do some work for you? And it was like a rolling stone. And then about, um, and I called myself, no, what did I I call myself? Catchy monkey, that's right. Because um, there's a phrase, catchy monkey, softly, softly catchy monkey. And um, I remember when I met my first business partner, he said, you must be joking. I'm not going to pick the phone up and say, that's a stupid name. So he came up with a name called Still Waters Run Deep, which means, as you know, you know, you're you're like a swan on the water and then you're paddling like mad to keep up. And so that was really our first business together, which I adored. And then after about three years, I set up on my own. Um, And... um, just really blessed. I worked all over the world. So I've worked with the best companies around the globe. So Mike, I was always on a plane, either in New York or Malaysia or Australia, Portugal. Um, and um, and I had a very fantastic break with Sony at the time. And I um, did all their internal communications for Europe. So I was very blessed. And then in 2008, I lost everything. I mean everything. And to anyone that's listening that's ever lost a business, they would know how it feels, but I can't describe it really. Um, probably the worst time of my life. Um, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I won't go into that now because that's, that's no, I'm looking forward now. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know, I can get a job. And I just felt quite sick about the thought of getting a job. 
really sick. Then a friend of mine said, there's a family business conference going on in Bristol. Why don't you go? And I said, family business? What's that? Where's Bristol, for goodness sakes? Do you know who I am? <laughs> anyway. I, went I laugh because I'm from Bristol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Originally. Anyway, apparently it's down in the West Country somewhere. Yeah. And, um, and I went and I was absolutely bowled over because in my profession, branding, which was my, which was my profession, is all about telling stories, mm. finding those stories. In large corporates, we have to make them up. You know, but in a family business, they're there from the get go. So I, I listened to all these magnificent stories about how family business began. Some had tears in their eyes because terrible travesties and adversity. Others joyful. Um, and I came away from there thinking, who's looking after these people? Where do they go to? Who do they talk to? Because you can't show your dirty linen in front of anyone else. So it's always Chatham House rules. It's a bit like going to AA, really. You know, instead of saying, hi, I'm an alcoholic, it's like, hi, I'm a family business, you know. Mm. And I think if you are a family business, you just get it. So um, we held our first uh, conference. I just decided I would just go for it. I, I don't know why, because entrepreneurs always do things when everyone's going left, they're going right. And I thought, what the hell am I doing? Um, and I thought, I could do this. I, could, I think I could build a business. And my daughter was with me at the time and she was with me through the bad times. And I said, I think this could be no evidence at all. This is going to be successful. <laughs> I'm sure James Dyson didn't think so either at the time. <laughs> and, um, and I set up family business place. And the very first conference we held at the Royal Institution in the Mayfair, they came. A hundred people came. And I managed to get great speakers like Sir John Timpson, Charlie Mullins, um, Giles and Nick um, English from Braymont, um, and Victoria Cri from Christian, from Clive Christian Perfumes. And they came and they, they spoke about the ups and downs of growing a business. Um, and from there, we started having conferences and we have our own, the National Family Business Awards, which we always hold at Wembley at the Sir Bobby Moore Suite because we feel it's a place of champions, really. Yeah. About four to 500 families that come from all over the country. They come from um, Scotland, Wales. In fact, last year, a lady came from the Shetland Isles. So she got a boat, then a plane, then a train. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So I thought that was a wonderful testament to the hard work of my team and my daughter and my family. So yeah. in my family business, my eldest daughter, Amalia, is the managing director. So succession has happened in ours. And my youngest daughter is, um, she is head of design and marketing. And my son-in-law is our photographer and videographer. So I think what's unique about us in our space is the fact that we are a family business living it. Mm. And I retrained with the Family Firm Institute. So I hold an advanced certificate in Family Firm Advising. I'm also qualified um, as a mediator and in anger management. <laughs> Goodness, I've learned so much about you already. We've only been speaking for about six, seven minutes. Yeah. Um, you've said so many things there. I'd just like to pick up on a couple of things. First of all, again, didn't know about your experience in 2008, Anita, but... To what extent do people rely on evidence? You mentioned the word evidence. Is it the case in your experience that a lot of people wait for evidence before they do something? And is that what creates a lot of inertia in people? Because they, they want to know, they want surety that they are going to achieve a successful outcome before they do something. And is that what separates people like you who clearly pick themselves up off the floor and, and succeeded in spite of those feelings that you had at that time. I'm just, in, I'm interested to know with your experience, because you've got a lot, I mean, a, one of the things I noticed about you when we first met was 
um, and I hope this doesn't embarrass you when I when I say this, but just a wonderful, warm, engaging personality. I'd like to know where that comes from as well, and to what extent that helps you in business, because I think that's something else that people struggle with. So really, I think two questions there. One is, to what extent should we forget about the evidence that we need and just go for it? That's number one. And the second thing is, to what extent does personality help you in growing your business? Okay, if I can answer both of those. Um I regard myself as an entrepreneur and in family businesses, the first generation was an entrepreneur, you know, and they, they may have, they may have been great at mending cars or they might've been great at fiddling about with electrics or they might've been great as a painter or whatever it is. So they're an entrepreneur, but there are no guarantees, but you do know, let me see now, because this has come up recently because I do a lot of coaching with 16 plus kids. And instead of talking through the, the school regime, which is all about going up, 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 because these kids are lost, we, st- we talk about if you could wave a magic wand, what would you love to do? And of course, most of them are only, they only know what they know from their parents or the TV or something. And we could start an astronaut. I don't know. But I think all entrepreneurs have a deep belief that they can do something better than anybody else. And they need to have customers and clients. So you'll find all entrepreneurs have a wonderful personality because you need to engage. Mm. You need someone to, because you haven't got any evidence. So you need Mm. someone to say, I believe you. And, um, and in fact, I'll pay you some money. And then it works. And it's like a, it's like a, a rolling stone really. Yeah. And I think that with that comes confidence and then you, and because most of us that are entrepreneurs, we suffer from, from something called the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years later, we still think we're going to be found out. Mm. <laughs> uh, 20 years and I'm still doing this and I'm traveling around the world and getting paid for it. You know, my daughter, on the other hand, is second generation. She has none of that. She has no imposter syndrome because her generation, the millennials, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your head and you feel it in your heart. And n- no matter what anyone says, because everyone will say or fail, but they, they did with me, you yeah. know, why are you doing that? Good, you know. Mm. And, and I think that um, when you have an idea, all I would say is you've got to go with it, go with your gut. We live once, mm. we live once. And I think that entrepreneurs get that. You know, you live once, go do it. And I used to say to my husband, what's the worst that can happen if I failed? I could just get a job in a supermarket, Mm. you know, or I could go back to teaching or I can, not that that's a failure, but you can always do something else. But unless you try, you just don't know where you're going to go. And um, my first business I had for 25 years afforded me a wonderful lifestyle, wonderful things, um, award-winning work. I was blessed. The second time I had no idea and I thought, Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. And we are here 11 years down the line. And we've really shaken up the family business um, sector. Mm. Um, and now you can't enter a business award without there being a family business category now. And I really put that down to the the amazing work that that the team at Family Business Place has done. Because mm. they've also got different generations. We've got different generations. So they're tech savvy, social media savvy, young. They have their own networks. And this next generation... The 30 to 45-year-olds is where the family businesses are going to really take off. Um, and uh, so as far as evidence is concerned, you don't have any evidence when you're an entrepreneur. What about you, Sandro? I mean, you know, you felt it in your 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 gut. You wanted to make it happen. Mm. And, you know, you decided and you did it. Yeah. 
So Sephora Private, let's talk about that now. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting about it is that you focus on well-being. That's right. right. Let's just talk about okay. that because that's a very important part of this it is. It is indeed. proposition. So um, because of my life experiences, uh, losing my business, I'm separated from my husband. My mother died um, from dementia 18 months ago. Um, I and, and also as I'm accumulating my own wealth now since I've started the business, I thought there was a market for women of wealth, of significant wealth, when they have been through an area of trauma and I've, I've named them, actually. Mm. The first one being divorce. The second one being bereavement of your husband, who you may have been in love with. You know, The mm. second is the early onset of an illness, like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, or a life-debilitating accident. The fourth is succession of a business or businesses that you've not been involved with before. And then the fifth one is, um, is inheriting a fortune. So I just put myself in her place. Life will never be the same again. And I created uh, an organisation called Sephora, which is, which is derived from Little Bird. Mm. Um, so for all the wealth you might have, you know, it doesn't make you happy. And when you are in a position of significant wealth, then um, there are probably lots of people around you that shouldn't be around you, really. And also your friendship ecosystem changes. Everything changes. So what I what I preach, really, and what I offer is a chance for a woman to just take a step back, breathe, and we start with her well-being. Because if she's not um, on top form, she can't cope with life. Because this may be a lady that's never had to tax a car. This may be a lady who's only ever given dinner parties. This may be a lady who's only ever done fundraising. But in her previous life, she might have liked to have been an entrepreneur. She might have liked to be a brain surgeon. I don't know, you know. And so um, I have a particular, I suppose I have a particular map. And um, and I, I start with the things that are on my map. And the map is, in our lives as a woman, there will be an area of, these are the areas of well-being. So... Um, your life is made up of family, husband, career, your contribution to society, um, your finances, um, your legacy, your fitness, your health. And I go through all of these and we sort out where are we with all of that. And because if you've got everything going on in that map, if something does fall out, like your husband dies, it's not the end of the world. And what I say, certainly after my experience, is that life is a gift, you know, and if you can have the strength and, and have the friends, you get to a better place, then you have the rest of your life and your family and, you know, another door opens. And I know it's hard at the time. When I lost my business, I thought, I'm never going to come out of this, but I did. And a friend said to me, the wisest words, actually, this too shall pass. And it did. Mm. And so well-being is really, really important. So I don't know, your husband may have gone off with a piece of skirt 40 years younger than you. Come on, we can do something about that. Your confidence is on the floor. We can do something about that. You've let your fitness go because, but now, you know, you need a re-energized body. Let's do something about that. Um, men are very used to leaving legacies and uh, women aren't. Because I think a lot of women don't feel they've done anything, achieved anything in their lives where it might be a legacy. Mm. And I think that is so important for your family, your children particularly. And as a woman, as a role model, 
So legacy is very, very important to understand what could that look like. But you have to live that legacy, don't you, first of all? Mm. And I'm also a firm believer in wealth creation is really important. But hand in hand with that is we should give it away. So, and, and what I learned when I was going through my darkest times, I was invited to, to a weekend in Uganda. Friend said, do you want to come to Uganda for the weekend? So I said, well, I've got nothing better to do. Yes, I'll come. Well, I went, went to Friday, came back on a Monday. And when I came back, I said to my family, we're going to trek the Sahara Desert and we're going to raise money for a borehole well in Uganda. We did it. We raised money and we built a borehole well in Uganda, which gives life to a community of between two, uh, 200 and 2,000. We now have 30 on the go, mostly sponsored by family businesses because we get it because because the story is from our family to yours. So one of the things I, I really like to, to, to focus on, and we, we include it always in any of our dealings with family and our conferences and, and also um, with our awards, is philanthropy. Find a way to give it away to make the world a better place. Not only is it for yourself, but it really does then engage with your next generation. So, and and we know that you know the the, the generation, the young generation of wealthy families, you know, sometimes fall by the wayside because they've lost their purpose. They they have no idea about why they're here. Um, and I think purpose is absolutely, you know, it's a God given thing. Your life. And you can do whatever you want with it. But if you've got money, create more of it and then give it away. Mm. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in awe, learning so much along the way. You mentioned trekking. You do loads of philanthropic work. Uh, you've got some beautiful... Tattoos. ...work on your <laughs> forearm. Tell us about those. Cause I've never seen those before. Right. So um, I started off uh, working with charities like Great Ormond Street Hospital, then I swapped to Fields of Life um, and now I work with Abigail's Footsteps and Alzheimer's Research UK because my mother passed away with dementia um, 18 months ago. So my first trek, my first tattoo is Machu Picchu. Mm -hmm. And I went because I'd never been not supported by anybody. You know, I had my family, my work colleagues. And when you do a trek, you have to do it. It's your your legs. You have to make sure you've got your hat. You make sure you've got your water. Those you die. Mm. Um, and so Machu Picchu, then um, Namibia was amazing. Was it? Gorgeous in the desert. And Mount Elgon in Uganda, I crossed a huge, a really weird sort of space-like caldera, which was amazing. And then the Sahara Desert, which was great. Showering in the desert was wonderful. And sleeping under the stars was, was amazing. Um, Patagonia. So... Uh, Patagonia. Well, if you've never been to Patagonia, go before the before the um, the the snow and the ice all falls to pieces. But probably the prettiest of all my treks has been Patagonia. Very tough. And then the Camino de Santiago. Have you ever been there? To I the have Camino? Not, no. You must. So I'd like a, to go there, though. You've heard of it, yes. I the have, pilgrimage yeah. to Santiago. Yes, yeah. We did 130k because you have mm. to do the 100 to get the certificate. Mm. But hard, tough. But everyone um, would say as you pass them, strangers, Bon Camino, you know. So it was like that. And getting to Santiago was was quite, um, well, it was quite emotional, really. And um, and then I also have climbed the um, Great Wall of China. And I did most of it on my bottom, I think, because it was so dilapidated. It was so dangerous. But there was a point where I stood on, on, on the Great Wall. And as far as I could see in front of me was wall. And as far as I could see behind me, was the wall. So my next one is Nepal. And if anyone's interested, I have a couple of spaces left and we will be doing the Annapurna Trek for a friend of mine who, together with his wife, they 
bless them, they had um, a stillborn baby at 41 weeks and the charity is called Abigail's Footsteps. And so that will be my fundraising for this no, year. No, well, we've raised money for it as well. Have so, you? Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. amazing. Yeah, it's That's fantastic. great. So there we go. So to what extent does your experience, you're, you know, you, you spend a lot of time helping people who are vulnerable. Let's, let's use that word. Um, to what extent... Do, do you create empathy or do you have empathy because of your own life experiences? Because it's not always been easy, as you so um, candidly described. Um, does that help you in terms of what you do now, working with people? It inspires me completely because at the end of the day, do you know what? Everyone is just a human being. And I think there's this, this very interesting concept with leadership, isn't it? You know, that in order to be a magnificent leader, you need to be using your head, your heart, and your stomach. And that's what you do use when you start a business. Your head is the finance, your heart is your passion, your gut reaction makes you make your decisions. What tends to happen as you become more successful is you use less of your gut because you've got processes in place. Mm -hmm. You use less of your heart because your bank manager and your finance director is saying, make sure the money's there, make sure the money's there. And so what happens is you disengage those other parts to your being. And I think in a family business, we're much, um, because they are on the whole much smaller, you know, although some of them are huge, you know, like the JCBs and Warburton's Bread and um, William Jackson Food, they're, they're quite stonking great businesses and the big car manufacturers were. But in the whole, most family businesses are small to medium size. But when I say medium size, we are talking about 50 million plus, you know. So, yeah. and, and I think we still have that measure of using our head, our heart, and our gut. So the work that I do with the family business I work with is, is just re-engaging those things again. And there are, and a friend of mine runs a fantastic equine leadership training uh, with horses. So a horse will just eat grass. But if you can make contact and you engage your head, your heart and your gut, then that horse will walk towards you and you build a relationship. And if you switch any of those things off, it's really weird. They start eating grass again. It's a very weird thing. Brilliant. And what's great about that is you don't need an encyclopedia to teach about leadership. Yeah. You don't need to do an MBA to teach about leadership, you know. So I, my friend is Erica Affrendell, and so that she she runs that, and 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 I. So I've I've sort of captured her to be part of my associates for Sephora because I think that by having alternative ways of being able to get out of a situation. Yeah. And my son is he's adopted. Um, he has left-sided hemiplegia and learning difficulties. And he so inspired me because he's 20 now. He came to us at 20 months and he completed a, 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 completed a, a three-year apprenticeship with DPD, passed his driving test, bought his own car. Um, and um, he's, has, he's a position of great responsibility. And I just think, well, that's where I need to be. I need to be with people that are stuck. So I'm, I'm becoming a CEO of a charity for 16 plus that are stuck. And this is a hot topic, uh, but no one has a better CV than you, Anita, to answer this question. Uh, you know, here we are in 2020. How much further do women have to go to... Uh, we talk about equality, but what do women need to do in your experience to kind of get to where women would ideally like to get to, you know, to try and avoid some of those issues that create vulnerability because they've not been used to dealing with the finances and the, you know, we've all been pigeonholed haven't we, and, and taken on roles and responsibilities traditionally. Um, what advice would you give to women to, to help them get to where some of them inevitably want to get to? So, that's a very good question. I think women, I think since the pill was actually the liberation for women. Okay. So that didn't happen to the 60s. Yeah. 
Okay. And before that, if you were a woman, you were, you know, you knew your place and probably the most, you, know, you could be a doctor, you could have a, a profession, um, uh, uh, but in the main, you were expected to look after the family, you know, and that's the way things had always been. And then w- with the advent of the pill, then that just changed everything. But women are not equal pegging. And that's because we have babies. Until you guys, you know, I think Robin Williams said the nearest I can get to it is stick an umbrella at my ass and <laughs> open it up and pull it down the other way. That's what it's like to give to give birth to children. Very funny. Um, but I, what I would say, though, now is that um, in this world where we can use technology, flexible working has come into its own. And the sooner everyone latches onto it, everyone in my business works part time. We're all there. Everyone. I'm a grandma, but everyone else is a mother. So someone comes in nine till two mm. to pick it so they can pick up their child at three o'clock. We all look after the whole family take a day off to look after my grandson. Um and um another lady who does our bookkeeping, she has a family. And do you know what? It works really well because even though it's flexible time, the trade-off is they are always on. So I never feel let down. We won't let each other down because we know when, when we're on, we're on all the time. But to have that flexibility is worth its weight in gold. So the time is here for flexible working. And that, I think, um, is a trigger for women. And there's a there are fantastic businesses, and one's called 10 Till 2, just for women that want to work flexible hours. But I'm not talking about cleaners and, you know, just cleaners and people who work in shops, I'm talking about bankers and business leaders and board members and, you know, uber super accountants and lawyers and other professionals, but they just want a flexible life. And I think that the larger corporates would do well to get on board with that, but it doesn't happen on its own. You have to believe in it and then you have to trust your staff that it's going to happen. So I think that's a breakthrough for women because the more women that run businesses the more they're going to entertain this. Mm. And everywhere I go, when I'm talking to family businesses, when they're talking about they're having trouble with staff engagement, then I look at how that works and I just think, right, so what are we doing about women? Because there are, you know, you don't have to rely on guys to fill all these posts. Where do you find them? And um, so I think they are changing, but there's never going to be equality with women all the time women have babies. That's the long and short of it, really. But what we can do is... Every time we're asked to speak on a podcast, on the radio, on the TV, to stand up, at, to go along to a lecture, to be in a school, you know, schools are always crying out for great people on their prize giving days and certificates. Come and talk about what life is like. If you are asked, just say yes, mm. you know, and that you've made a difference. And together we might make a bigger difference, you know. But I think no matter what you do, where you are, where you come from, you know, you can make a difference. Just stand up. And all my, see, I have three daughters in my family, you know, and uh, they're all uber fabulous. Um, but I think that it does come from my mother, I think, as an immigrant, because we had to survive and we had to yeah. stand up our own two feet. She came here without speaking English, where education was the root of everything. And there are a lot of second generation Asian families here now. And they will all have been super educated because they recognize that education is the way to a better life. And I think that's true, really, you know. So in answer to your question, it's, I don't think we, I think we should stop talking about equality because it's like, it's actually naff, isn't it? You know, you can do something yourself mm. to change that in so your village. So more about fulfilment, personal totally, fulfilment than totally, equality. 
totally. Good answer. Good answer. Um, I had a gazillion questions for you today. Uh, and I haven't got halfway through them. Um, so we have to come back and perhaps have another conversation. I've got two final questions for okay. you, if I may. Well, three, really. One is, what does the next five years look like for Sephora and the work that you're doing with these these wonderful people? Um, any particular plans? Do you see the business you know, going in one direction or another, or are you just going to keep doing what you're doing? So as far as the work that I'm doing with family business is concerned, I think I just want that to grow because I think it's a, it's a combination of training, life experience, common sense, and also to be able to speak the truth. I think that's really an important ingredient. As far as Sephora is concerned, my dream would be to help women that are, you know, that, that need my help and build a network, a friendship, a friendship ring, I guess, of women that have been through similar things that you know, they're not the only people. And my ultimate goal would probably to be able to create a fund one day from the um, from from the women that I'll be working with, that then we can look at that fund and say, right, how are we going to change the world? You oh, know, that's, that's what I'd like to do. That's really lovely. Um, well, we might have a conversation about me joining on the trek in October. I have a I have my own charitable foundation, so we'll have a conversation separately. Aha. Two final questions, Anita. Number one is, how do we find out more about Sephora, about Anita Brightly Hodges and all that amazing stuff that you're doing? That's going to be very important. So just share that with us, if you don't mind. Okay, so my my business is called Family Business Place, and it's a membership organisation for family businesses all over the UK. And the website is www.familybusinessplace.com. Um, and Sephora is Sephora with an S-A-P-H-O-R-A, private. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a website and you can contact me through that or my email address, which is anita at familybusinessplace.com or Sephora, uh, Anita, sorry, big pardon, anita at sephoraprivate.com. So thank you for that. Okay. Great platform. Uh, and long may you continue to do all that you're doing. You're the first person, by the way, who's got a coffee and biscuits and uh, it's great. And dates. And dates. Um, so while you've got the date in your mouth, Last question. <laughs> Last question. Should we pause for a second? Last question. Um, you have got a wealth of experience mm-hmm. um, traveling, mm-hmm. helping vulnerable people, mm-hmm. doing amazing things, good things, bad things, that whole amazing, diverse journey that you've experienced in life. Therefore, this is this is probably an easy question for you to answer, but given all of those amazing life experiences, and they're all amazing, good and bad, I guess, if one of your daughters came to you and said, mum, just give us a few words of wisdom, maybe a sentence or two, if you can encapsulate all of that amazing experience in one sentence to help us on our way in life, what would that little piece of advice that you give to daughter one, two, three, or possibly all three of them be? The first thing is be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. And that's quite hard when you're going through difficult things. The second is appreciation. Appreciate everything you have, your friends, because at the end of the day, when there's only you, that's all you have. So appreciate the things in life. And sometimes it's good to just think about, well, these things are going really pear-shaped, but the things I really appreciate are my family, whatever I'm doing, etc. The other is that you are looking for a joyful, fulfilled life. Do whatever that, don't, don't worry about the money, that will come. Um, and then lastly, uh, my piece of advice would be, and this too shall pass. That was given Which to you me. Mentioned earlier. Absolutely, yeah. and it's so true. So, and my younger self is, um, I think, looking back, thinking, "Don't be frightened. Don't be fearful. No one has a magic answer, but it's down to you." And I have a very strong Christian faith, so my faith has really got me through everything. Mm. And um, 
And I think if you have a faith or you have a belief or you have a purpose that drives you, and I think that can only be a good thing. Well, we congratulate you on all that you're doing for so many people, both women in business, but also you know, needy people, people who are vulnerable around the world. And all I can say probably to summarise uh, my best wishes to you is I hope both arms end up covered in tattoos <laughs> with all those amazing experiences that are yet to come. So Anita Brightley-Hodges, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a true delight, Sandro. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So that was Anita Brightley-Hodges. What can I say about a truly wonderful lady? So, so inspiring. Remember, each week we have a new guest joining us, perhaps not as good as Anita, but uh, they'll do their best, I'm sure. And they are there to help share their insights and uh, experiences into achieving success, overcoming life challenges and all the other things you've been hearing for about a year and a half now. So do make sure you continue to email us with any questions. That's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember two other things, of course, to connect with me, Sandro Forte. It's the same on all channels, but the real Sandro Forte on Instagram Make sure you continue to keep those reviews coming on iTunes so we know what you'd like more of in the future. And don't forget to join us this time next week. Bye for now.